The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is Mike Slatman, your host. I've got 45 years, over 45 years experience as an expert fire investigator. I, I was honored to be president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. And I am here with uh, some guests, and but my co-host, Donna Ingram. This is Donna. I've got almost 30 years in insurance, fire, and fraud. And it's good to be here, and we're so glad that you guys are here. Right. In our studio today, and, and we're happy to have him, as the chief investigator for the Kansas State Fire Marshal's office, Wally Roberts. Good afternoon. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I got a frog in my throat. Um, Rusty Valentine from the Topeka Fire Department, who is a dog handler and a certified fire investigator. Good afternoon. You know, today is sort of like our... Um, our dog show. It's the one that we're going to talk about the accelerant detection canines and everybody likes canines um, and they don't always like the handlers but they like the canines anyway and uh, and we're we're all in uh, on the same side we're all on uh, the side of law enforcement but I want to give you an update on what I've been talking about for the last few weeks. Um, Brian Shepard, who was one of the convicted killers of the six um, uh, firefighters in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, had a resentencing hearing and was uh, uh, just uh, came down the, the um, ruling that said that they were going to allow him to um, be freed from prison after um, 22 years. Now, there are some, uh, you know, the, the families uh, didn't take it very well, and, and I don't blame them. Uh, of course, his family was ecstatic, and uh, there are some pretty good um, uh Restrictions. He has to be on probation for a number of years and also has to stay away from drugs and alcohol and has uh, uh, been uh, ordered to um, reimburse the uh, Kansas City Fire Department $325,000 uh, for their losses. Um, the firefighters are still deceased. And their families will never heal from this. Uh, we're hoping that he will now make a, um, a life that is uh, beneficial to society, um, and uh, and we don't we hope there isn't any retaliation uh, from the families uh, to the law enforcement people, our firefighters. Um, but on that somber note, we're going to change the. Um, I'm sorry. You no, I wanted to say um, my understanding is it's because he was a juvenile, uh, so he got 20 years. He served 22. 
So that's how, and I, I don't know what how that's. Well, I didn't get 20 years. I got life without parole. I, I'm sorry. That yeah. they said 20 years was the limit. Yeah. They, no, so. they said yeah. Generally, they what they had done is there was a prior a prior federal court case that said, um, and this is, of course, <laughs> recent, where it said uh, the they should not be when you're juveniles. They shouldn't be sent to life imprisonment without right. the possibility of parole. So that's why I got the resentencing hearing. Uh, he's reportedly turned his life around. So we wish uh, everyone in this luck uh, and hope that everything works out. Now, um, our good our good guests are, and we're going to introduce Wally first. I've known Wally for a number of years. He's a, he's a past uh, law enforcement officer, and he uh, is the chief investigator for the Kansas State Fire Marshal's Office, and uh, he uh, he's worked literally thousands of uh, fires and testified, I'm sure, hundreds of times uh, in in investigations. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? How you, how did you get into fire? You were in law enforcement officer, right? Well, actually, I started as a firefighter in California, where he worked for uh, the California Department of Forestry, which is now called Cal Fire. Um, the local law enforcement used to come by the fire station and eat our food and hang out and uh, <laughs> write reports there. And I got to know several of the guys there. Play checkers? Uh, we did play checkers and chess and uh, <laughs> uh, several things. Um, went on a ride along with them. Uh, it was a quite an exciting evening and I was hooked uh, in law enforcement. So uh, I was still young enough, uh, had several people in my life that were mentors towards me and uh, they suggested I go to the military. So I went to the military, did several years uh, in the Army, uh, was an investigator at Fort Riley, Kansas. Uh, when I got out, I got hired on in the Topeka area as a law enforcement officer, as a police officer. And uh, that's how I started back in the early 90s. Okay, so the firefighters would say you went over to the dark side. True. Yes, and then, but then we all know that if you become a firefighter and you become a policeman, like one of the guys that used to work with yes, me. Then you, then you get on the right side. That, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now let's talk to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty, you are, you've been a, you've been a, a fire, uh, firefighter for a number of years, haven't you? I have. I, I, 28 years in the fire service I've spent, um, started a small rural department, worked, uh, worked into the city of Topeka where I've been there for a little over 23 years. Um, I got kind of hooked into the fire investigation side of it by trying to uh, just, you know, learn my enemy was basically how I got into it. Um, I wanted to understand fire. I wanted to understand how fire worked. And, you know, so when I was fighting it, I, you know, I could understand my enemy. Well, I got hooked into the investigation side. And so now I've been in the investigations doing full-time investigations for 15 years and been a canine handler for 12. So I'll be dying. So you've worked in you work on your own and with the with the canines uh, and uh, you've you've worked with Wally too on on cases, haven't you? I have. Yes. So with with the canine, um, I'm a kind of a regional asset. So if they need the canine in in some place other than my jurisdiction, that's that's kind of the way that works. We'll we'll aid um, other jurisdictions with a tool that we're lucky to have and honored to have but are able to share with uh, where, with others that maybe don't have that tool. So that's kind of under the mutual aid? 
It is, yeah. I concept. Kind of a mutual or agreement, you know, that uh, between agencies and um, so, but the state fire marshal's office on the flip side comes in and assists us with investigations as well. So we share our assets, we share our brains and, uh, and all those good things just to bring it to a good end. Well, Wally, your, your, um, your office, you still, you're still working fires. You're the chief investigator, but you're still working fires, right? I do. I try not to work as many as I used to when I was a regular investigator. Uh, there's a, a lot of administrative duties I have to do. So, um, But if the guys are busy, I will gladly head out and, and take a fire case for them. And you're teaching also, aren't you? We do a lot of instructing throughout the state, yeah. Right. And so, but your guys, uh, well, well, if they need a dog, how many dogs have you? You got a bunch of dogs. Our office has two dogs. We have one station on the west side of Kansas, and we have another canine station on the east side of Kansas. Um, so we try to utilize those dogs uh, before we reach out to our local assets, Um but if it's if it's near Topeka, Shawnee County, uh, we'll reach out to other local assets and, and have them come and help us as well. Or if it's an extremely large case, um, and especially in the summertime when it gets hot, we'll have some large fires. We'll we'll have two or three dogs come out uh, to come and assist as well. Okay. Well, so and so you would call in essence if you needed assistance, then you would call Rusty in, right? We would. And then uh, what? Your department uh, under mutual aid, or, or what is it that uh, what allows you to go with them? I actually have my dog is part of the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Canine Program. So, in that in in that agreement, they they provide that asset to to my division, to my department, and then um, they allow they ask for us to share that asset with um, with other regional. Uh, departments around so that's how that kind of works I, I go under the guise of of, of the federal uh, dog sharing it with with outside resources so does ATF also use your you and in the dog on their investigations my uh, my main purpose for that dog is to support the ATF and and what they need to do mm-hmm. both regionally and wherever the, wherever they need that so um, first and foremost it's it's the ATF's tool that they give us to be able to use however many times a year that we need, but they have the ability to call that in as their asset as well. So mm-hmm. it, it, it allows them to spread spread out across the country and give local agencies the tool, but then they have that that assets spread across the, and, the and country. You, they have an NRT, a national response team. Have you been? Uh, have you worked with the NRT? I have in my career. I've I've been on five national response teams, uh, activations in the Midwest. Well, I was going to say uh, he crosses state lines quite a bit with the NRTs and other requests. Um, I know he's been in Missouri several times with his dog, and I think he's been in Nebraska too. Is that right? I have. I've been to Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Missouri. Oh, well, that's great. And uh, for this, for these dogs, now, um, these these are dogs, I know you said you, you got them from the ATF. Now, you train with these dogs, right? So the dogs, uh, how long does a dog, uh, how long is a dog in training? Is it in training before you uh, you even start handling them? All these dogs are, at the, are trained initially, cert- trained and certified at the National Canine Training Branch in uh, Front Royal, Virginia. So they start imprinting the dogs, getting the dogs um, 
to understand the odors that they're that they're looking for and all those things and and get the appropriate response out of the canines prior to the handlers ever going in um, to school and then there's a six-week course that we go in uh, at that point then we're under the direction of the canine training branch where they they mold the handler with with the canine and um, you know they bring assets to the table like um, chemists and uh, obviously canine handlers things like that so um, yeah I understand so and as part of that certification the the, the dog has to it has to identify certain kind of That's li correct. liquids and stuff. Right? Yeah, they're they're certified annually. Yeah. Um, so we have. It's a work in progress from from the time that the dogs initially put in the service until the dog retires. And you said it, you have chemists involved. So what do they do? They they verify the. They validate the uh, the amount of liquid used and the the type of odor that that's identified. And you use a small amount, don't you? you yes. Just literally drops right microliters microliters yeah. yes so how old are, are the dogs when they're trained and then ready to go typically anywhere from a year to a year and a half old by the time they're put placed into service some are a little older mm -hmm. uh, typically it's between a year and a year and a half old at the time that they're placed into service and they'll have a working time span of approximately 10 years of age is okay. about about the cutoff of where they say. No, I've called them accelerant detection canines. Is that proper? That is correct. It's amazing. It's once in a row. I'm calling them the right. Not thing. ignitable liquid. No, but it's so, I mean, it, everything changes all the time in our business and and how you put things. But Molly, you you had a different kind of a dog. You had an explosive explosives dog. How, what what's the proper terminology for that? I did. I had an explosives detection canine. Uh, several years ago, again, through the ATF with their partnership. Um, and I had her for several years, and uh, we worked uh, several different call-outs throughout Kansas and uh, uh, several other states as well. Yeah, I think you were – I think we were at a seminar one time, and you got a call from a, for a for – at least a bomb threat or explosion at a courthouse or something, didn't you? I mean, I've, I've had a couple of call-outs in different courthouses. We have bomb threats. Um, I've worked uh, security details for some major uh, court hearings, um, the World Series, uh, different things like that, where the, the for safety and security, uh, the canines are out there working as well. You know, recently we've had, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. We, we have, recently we've had all these uh, these bomb threats at the Jewish community centers throughout the country. They've arrested someone in, in St. Louis for some of them, but not all of them. Um, when you get called out when it's, with an explosive detection canine, you guys do a search, right? Correct. Have you ever, have you ever actually, I mean, I know there's a lot of bogus call outs, but have you ever found, actually found a bomb? Uh, we have. We've uh, found several and several different types of call-outs. Um, one that I can remember was in a, in a public building. Uh, had a bomb threat there. Um, we started our search. The building was evacuated. We started our search. Um, I started in a, a, a certain area of the building, told her to do her thing, and we weren't in there 15 seconds, and she gave me an alert. Uh, I started looking around, and I find an explosives device. So I made a few phone calls. I got some more people there, uh, requested a couple more dogs. Um, while uh, more people were en route, we went to a different portion of the building and continued our, our sweep. Um, we didn't find anything else in the building. And then uh, 
we were able to remove that device and uh, render it safe. Yeah, so you, you brought in the other dogs to work all the other areas of the building or whatever? Yeah, once we found a device, of course, that changes the dynamic of that particular call. So mm-hmm. uh, it uh, yeah. elevated it a little bit, and um, so we called in some more resources uh, to uh, finish what we had to do. Yeah, well, when I was a police detective, we had, in our training, we had uh, about bombs. We had, if you thought there was a bomb there, or you, or you found a device during an initial walkthrough or something, get two blocks away and call a bomb squad. Now, so <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what we did. So, But right. we want to get everybody away from there, too. But uh, I have a few questions, one being uh, Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. So are you, like Rusty is, if Homeland Security says, hey, you know, you've got this explosives dog, we need your assistance, boom. Uh, like not, Rusty, I was... Hopefully not boom. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, boom is bad. <laughs> yeah, boom is a bad word. <laughs> but like Rusty, I was, a, I was a task force officer assigned to the ATF, and with that, we traveled the, the United States. I've been as far east as Boston and as far west as uh, Las Vegas, working different um, mm-hmm. activities. Uh, spent some time in St. Louis at the World Series there um, for when when they were having no <clears throat> excuse me doing those and, and sweeping the stadium every day um, worked some uh, trials in Oklahoma uh, with Terry Nichols when that was going on we were down there uh, for right. sweeps of the courthouse things like that um, mm-hmm. different uh, major incidents and then a a question if you can answer it um, if not I understand is it, does the dog i know they alert in a an explosive situation are they taught to alert and retreat it's a passive alert mm-hmm. so you'll see the change in the behavior of the canine mm-hmm. um and by passive alert means they sit um mm-hmm. so you don't want the dog to like start scratching at it with, right. their, with their paw or pick it up with their mouth or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So as they're going along, they'll have a change in their behavior, which as a handler, you get to learn real quickly mm-hmm. what those will be with your dog. Um, and then uh, you'll see that change in behavior. You might give her some different commands uh, to do their thing, and then they'll, they'll give you a, a good alert, and then you'll go from there. I guess a, maybe a better phrase would be, do they know not to... Touch it, bite it. Well, it, it, bark at it. <laughs> Again, the, the dogs are trained to be a passive alert. Um, right. So they're they're gonna they're do their their smelling, their sniffing, whatever they're doing, and then uh, they'll give the handler an indication that uh, something that they've been trained to detect is there. Right. Now I've noticed this, I've known you for a number of years, and we've been well. I consider us friends, even if I. Rag you on occasion. Oh, it's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, I notice you have all your fingers and toes. I mean, so I mean, well, I don't know about your toes. Come to think of it, I've never, I've never owned them. Right? <laughs> anyway, but the Stop bottom. Stop while you're ahead. Yeah, yeah, okay. But the bottom line is this: uh, you apparently don't render them safe, do you? You no, don't. no. We call in guys that are, are trained above above my level um, to do that. I was I've been trained up to uh, an assistant to help bomb technicians, uh, but then people above me actually go out and put the suits on and do what they need to do to render it safe. And thank God for them. And God bless them. And they're nuts. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now earlier before the show, we had a discussion and, uh, and so you wanted to make a couple of good points that I really think is, is good. Uh, first of all, you wanted to talk about 
the dogs being a tool. And the other thing was, why aren't they cross-trained? So you only have one dog to do both things. Right. So first and foremost, we need to know what the the role of the canine is in the investigation. And that is um, their tool provided to uh, increase the probability that if an ignitable liquid exists in the scene that we are able to identify that properly and then collect it as evidence. Um, the one thing that um, I've always cautioned people on is that uh, if, if, if you're working a fire scene and your case hinges on whether an ignitable liquid or accelerant detection canine is going to alert in your scene, you've got more problems with your scene than, <laughs> than trying to find a, a dog to come help you out. It might be so, a training thing. Huh? Well, um, the reality is, is that they're very good at what they do. However, um, there's a time and a place for them. And NFPA 921 gives us the latitude as canine handlers to deploy them in the fire scene where we see fit and use them to, again, increase the probability that if ignitable liquid exists, we're going to collect it. They aren't there to replace our training and experience and our knowledge as, as certified fire investigators. So, um, a so, good example of that would be it, a lot of people, myself included, have a can of gasoline in their garage. Absolutely. So the dog's going to know that that is gasoline. Absolutely. Or, or an ignitable liquid, and but it belongs there. Right. That's, that's so it could be environmental to the area. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, people will store charcoal lighter fluid under their kitchen sink or so just because we identify it in a fire scene doesn't mean that it's not supposed to be there so that's where the investigator has to then do the the background work and and discuss mm -hmm. like i always tell everybody that that uh, if i find gasoline in your garage we're not going to be that worried about it but if my dog finds an ignitable liquid in your bathtub, we're probably going to have a chat about it. So, right. um, so there's a time and a place for it, to, for it to occur. And obviously our investigative skill plays a big part in that. Actually, that's, that's not uh, too far-fetched. I actually had a fire and it was an incendiary fire where they filled, partially filled the bathtub with uh, diesel fuel and then lit it with uh, gasoline. Or somebody cleaning their lawnmower parts in the bathtub. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of things that we've all run across in our in our careers that at the end of the day, we have to be able to articulate yes or no for. So. Yeah, well, needless to say, in each case, these people were apprehended. And, and, and so, I mean, so you guys, it works. You find it. Right. And mm -hmm. although I did work with one dog handler that, was, well, it wasn't a very good dog handler, actually. Um, the roof had collapsed on a building and they walked it across the roof. Uh, so that, that won't work too well, will it? Well, it, it all depends. It, it just, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. It yeah, just well, depends. All right. On, now, wouldn't you really have to lift the roof off? And, to do it right, yeah. Oh, to do it right. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's Because <laughs> we are all about doing things right. Oh, yeah. yeah well, and, so. and how come they're not, how come they don't have a dual purpose dog? If you have if you have an explosives canine and an accelerant detection canine and you're doing a sweep of a building and it alerts, which is it? Is it is it an explosive or is it an ignitable liquid? So I'm not saying that uh, that it mm -hmm. doesn't uh, there isn't a time and a place for it. Um, it's kind of a jack of all trades, a master of none kind of thing. So yeah, I see. 
and I can understand where uh, where you know you really would want to know if that's a bomb. Yeah, is it going to blow up or is it going to burn? You know, kind of thing. So so then you call Wally in, and if it blows up, you know, then. Yeah. <laughs> we actually have a good story about that, and that is, uh, and this happened many moons ago, a rescue canine was cross-trained into accelerant canine. It didn't work mm-hmm. because the dog kept saving the investigator. <laughs> it kept running in and finding the fire investigator. See, I've tried for years to get my dog to try and save me, and he won't do it. So. But this, was, this was on the private side. This was not a public. This was uh, in private use. And, yes, it, it just didn't work because she kept Excellent. rescuing the uh, fire investigator, and so they had to retire out of both public and yeah, private yeah. because she was confused. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, yeah. that can happen because it's just like anything. It's like anybody. Can she didn't know confused. her job. That's true. Oh, that's I, me. Yeah. <laughs> I need to retire now. Uh, oh. Well, I, Wally, uh, now you you call them in and we only got a couple minutes, but uh, you are there any time? Any kind of criteria that you, you can call them in anytime you want. Right? Yeah, you can. You can call the, the canine team in any time. Um, something we look at, though, is, is the dog really going to be needed? Uh, we have a, a policy uh, with the, our office that if we have a fatality fire, for instance, we call for a canine. Um, it's just a given. Uh, you never know what you're going to get. You Not only do you get a canine, but you get another certified fire investigator to come and help you on your scene. So you get another set of eyes. Um, so that's something that we've started in-house to do. Um, but if you get a, a large scene, you may want to call the dog to help you narrow it down. Um, or, you know, it, it just depends. If you get out there and you're do, doing your interviews and your people are being a little hinky, you might want to reach out for the dog. Again, with that dog comes another CFI to help you out. That's a great idea. I imagine on, on multiple million-dollar losses, you'd you'd have them also too, would you not? Yeah, large dollar losses. Uh, you're hitting seven digits. You're going you're gonna, to – it changes the, the dynamic of your, your case, and you bring in extra tools and resources to help you get that done. Absolutely. Um, and, well, I was thinking about it. Are, now, there's some cases that we've worked in Kansas. Uh, and, uh, Rusty, you've worked uh, all over different places. Uh, when we come back uh, after our break, we're going to uh, ask you to give us a, maybe a, well, I call them war stories, okay? <laughs> if you give us a war story, we'll appreciate it. And, uh, and, uh, Is that also known as war? Did I say? He right. said war. It, it, He's it's from a, it's, I'm from St. Louis. It's, it's, no, it's the Slotman filter. Nobody speaks St. Louis in around here. You know, I say <laughs> corner and north and stuff like that, too. So what do I know? Anyway, well, but. Yeah, well, when we come back, we'll we'll talk some war. Stories. Yeah, well, please, we'll do some more stories. And okay, so come back to Speaking of Fire. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. 
educational classes, and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before the break, we were talking about war stories, or war stories, depending on which host you want to listen <laughs> yeah, to. that's true. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> hmm. Well, in your varied experience throughout Kansas or other states, um, you've had some, uh, both of you have had uh, cases and probably some together. Uh, Wally, can you, you've, you've thought of one, I know. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I had a case in uh, a medium-sized town here in, in Kansas. Um, I got up to the scene. It just wasn't uh, wasn't feeling right. Things weren't, weren't right. So I reached out to Rusty. Uh, and says, hey, why don't you come on out here to where we're at? Um, bring bring your dog. Let's see what we got. So once he arrived, uh, um, you can kind of talk what the, the fire department had gone in, and uh, they had ripped the ceiling out of the entire house now mind you this was a room and contents fire in a back bedroom but they had pulled the ceiling in the entire house so we had sheetrock and then two and a half feet of insulation on this floor we're literally walking back to this room and contents room uh, in two feet of insulation so I called for the dog and had Rusty come out, and uh, uh, you go from there. So he told me, he says, I'm real interested in uh, in uh, having you run your dog through this through the bedroom that's burned up. I said, okay, well, we can do that. So I'm walking through the front door, and, and my dog crosses the threshold. The door gets in the middle of the living room and alerts. And I'm sitting there. I'm wondering, you know, what's going on. So I note the area of alert. And then I, I start heading back to the bedroom, and I run him through the bedroom, and uh, I get an alert in the bedroom. And so I go out, tell Wally, I said, hey, I, I, I got an alert in the bedroom for you. You know, I've marked it. We'll, we'll collect it. And I said, but we also got an alert in the middle of the living room underneath all the insulation. So we, we 
went in and started pulling all the sheetrock and all of the insulation off the middle of the floor. And here we, we find a paint thinner container in underneath all of this debris in the middle of the living room where there wasn't even any fire in the living room. There was no fire damage, no smoke damage, no nothing. So the dog actually uh, alerted on it because it actually detected it laying underneath this debris. Now that's that's great. I mean that it's that. How does it? Was it uh, was it fiberglass or was, was it the cellulose, cellulose? Cellulose insulation. insulation but but yeah. still, it's ultimately too- once we took all that debris out of that out of that room, ultimately we were able to trace. Uh, positive canine uh, indications in each one of the rooms once was, we removed all the yeah, There was a pore pattern throughout this living room, down the hallway, into this back bedroom that we would have never found without the use of the canine. I'll be dying. So, mm-hmm. so but the, the bedroom, I, I imagine that you had taken some of the debris off the top before you got there in we, the bedroom? When we had done the, I, We'd kind of left it for him. Oh, okay. uh, something that... Again, Russ and I have been working together for 15 years. Um, we know how each other our, each other work. Uh, so I kind of left it alone before doing any any layering and, and removing the debris so that he can come in, he can get a look at it, and then we he ran his dog. We removed some debris. Uh, it was able to run the canine again. And then we started talking to the firefighters. Oh, yeah, yeah, we just pulled it, look, pulled on the ceiling for looking for extension. Well, boys, we're going to have to take all this debris and take it outside. And, you know, we got some name called and whatnot. But at the end of the day, a couple hours into it, we were showing them, hey, look at this poor pattern. Uh, but there was no damage. But they were they were impressed with the way the canine worked and, and how we worked together to bring it to a conclusion. And, and, and it goes to intent, right? So you get the trailer, you get the uh, multiple rooms with ignitable liquids in them, and then that goes to intent and then shores up your hypothesis and all those things for court. So. That's right. And, uh, and uh, well, I, I know I've worked somewhere. Uh, you can find uh, melted gasoline containers, you know, those the particular two and a half That's gallon correct. ones that are they're melted flat on the floor and in, in, in a room where it wasn't a lot of fire damage. Right. But they've trailed it into that room. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're now that's fantastic that it alerts in that that deep of uh, insulation. So. Uh, this just goes to show you, and this is one of the reasons that we're doing this show, is we're trying to say, if if you're going to set a fire, you're going to get caught. And so we tell you, don't do this, and it kills people. And every, every fire, uh, every time the fire department responds, they put their lives at risk. Uh, recently in the front page of the Kansas City Star was all of the... Um, about firefighter cancers and how the latest uh, materials that are burning are very carcinogenic. And and so uh, every time they go in here, folks, that they roll on you, they could they could get hit by a, a, a truck could run a stop sign and hit a pumper. A guy could have a heart attack from exertion at the scene. Um, a ball could fall on him. Uh, all of these things. So fires are dangerous. They're we use it as a tool to heat our homes and, and to cook our food, but it can be really dangerous. At the end of the day, we have plenty of, we have more accidental fires than, than we need. Um, and, and firefighters are out across this country every day putting out fires and uh, putting their lives on the line um, for a lot of legitimate reasons. We don't, we don't need intentionally set fires to add to that. So my goal as an investigator 
ultimately for the Topeka Fire Department and any fire department is to uh, prevent all of those incendiary fires from happening, all the intentionally set fires from happening. If I can stop one intentionally set fire by putting a bad guy in jail, then that's one less risk that those firemen will have to take. Absolutely. You know, I've been in law enforcement 30 some years and, and I look at it where I'm at now in the last 16 with the fire marshal's office. Um, it's a real blessing to help protect firefighters. They are our everyday heroes. And when I can catch an, uh, an arsonist and put him in jail, I look at that as as uh, saving the lives of firefighters that are in there doing this job. Like Rusty said, we have enough accidental fires to keep everybody busy. We don't need people out setting fires and putting these guys in danger. So if I can put a, uh, a bad guy in jail for setting these fires, you know, I'm saving the lives of firefighters. Well, exactly. And, and set fires uh, behave differently. And so they're even riskier than than an accidental fire because of the use of ignitable liquids and because of the unknown factors that firefighters walk into into a structure. And even them losing air in their tank, I mean, yeah. that has, has killed a firefighter. Yeah, I always have said, you know, it's, it's the ABCs and, and you watch movies and it's firefighters saving lives and running out of buildings and it's law enforcement getting in shootouts and doing all this. And what in reality happens is a firefighter can run out of air in a building and yep. suffocate a law enforcement officer uh, can get shot through the back seat because there was a gun in somebody's shoe. I mean, this is this is reality, and this how it, this is how it works, and that's why we're here. I'm still a fireman to the core. I always will be. Um, I just I chose a di little different path down to to go down. So I'm I'll always be a fireman. Yeah, and, and, and that's good. And, that's, and, and we're right about 9-11. Uh, if 9-11 taught us anything was the bravery of the uh, fire and police. Uh, we lost too many people at that time. And uh, and um, there's always a threat, um, whether it's uh, responding to a, to a uh, crime in progress or, or stopping a car on the street or, or going to a, a what's allegedly a dumpster fire. And then have something happened, um, you know. That we killed a couple of firefighters were killed a, a year and a half ago. What was uh, in Kansas City where a wall fell on them, uh, and during a but an arson fire. There was an arson fire. And, exactly. Uh, so that's and, murder. And you worked that. Do you, well, uh, Rusty, did you work that? I was involved in that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so okay. So that's still in litigation. So we won't talk about that. I was going to say, you were talking about 9-11, uh, when that occurred here locally. Um, it was interesting, even in Kansas, where in my city, the tallest building was six stories. However, the fire service was affected just as much as in New, New York as far as understanding what was going on in the fire service and what their job was. And one of the local reporters asked one of the fire chiefs, and this was one of the best things that I had heard, you know, what are you going to do different <laughs> after 9-11? And his response was, nothing. We're already trained for this. We, this is what we do. And that was the best response. 
because it was the truth. Yeah. Um, They were trained. Now, granted, uh, you know, they weren't trained in Kansas for, you know, New York buildings. But at the same time, emergency responders are trained. And every time we see an incident and somebody says, oh, oh, they need training, you stand back and go, no. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, there's training. That's what we do. That's what we do, and and every and they train all the time with the fire towers and everything else. Yes. Um, so this is an international show. So we have people listening all over the world. So mm-hmm. before you guys believe that Kansas' biggest building is six stories, <laughs> I want to tell you she was talking about this My little city. town that she lived in, and not like uh, uh, we have massive skies. Skyscrapers too. No, like that's like, almost like skyscrapers. I think what the tallest building in Kansas is probably twenty-six stories. Like, it is not. That, that, is it, I, no, I don't know. I don't, what it is. I don't know I, I think it's in Wichita, but I'm not sure what it is. Sounds yeah. like we're having a wall. Okay, so it's not Dubai. Okay, it's not Dubai. We got to figure that out. It's not Dubai, but it's not uh, Hayseedville. Okay, so I just want to try and figure that out. Okay, now let's talk about some litigation stuff. I mean, you you guys have tested, you've, uh, Wally, you've testified in trials uh, both as a law enforcement officer and a uh, as a fire investigator too, right? I have. I've testified both uh, as a fact finder and as an expert witness. As an expert witness. And as an expert witness, you testify to the origin and the cause of the fire, and you're able to give your opinion. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, because... Uh, People that are lay witnesses can only uh, talk about uh, their observations, where you can actually put everything together and and say, and this is my, they'll ask you that question, and what is your opinion as to the cause of the fire, and then you give your opinion, correct? That's it. Right, and in incendiary fires, you're the, the defendant, when, you, when it goes to actual trial, because many of them plead out, correct? A lot of them do, yeah. Yeah, but if they go to the actual trial, um, what do you think? I know this you're not expecting this, this, but what do you think your major job is as a as a fire investigator when you're on the stand when you're talking to that jury? What do you think is your major job? Education. Try to teach them and educate them as to what uh, what we do and how we do it. Um, I, I had a homicide case where I was on the stand for a couple of days. Uh, the first day was more about what we don't do that they see on TV, and that's not real. CSI. Um, I mentioned the CSI, and these ladies in, 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 in the jury, they were shaking their head yes. And I'm like, that's not what we do. And um, <laughs> by the end of the, the first day, I had them nodding yes and, and to me, which really upset the defense attorney, who I, I, I know personally. And he told me as we walked out, I really kicked his butt. Um, it, it was a one-on-one kind of a thing, but because mm-hmm. um, I had the jury believing what I was telling them, um, and that, that at the end of the day, that's what I look at is I'm educating the jury, those those people in the jury, uh, to what we do. All right, so you make it understandable for them. You tell them how it spreads and where it starts and how you figure that out, right? Yep. And uh, and then of course all the other things that come into it. Uh, no firefighter or fire investigator makes it makes a call on one factor. No, it has to be hundreds of variables uh, in there. Up but, to and including a canine alert. That's true. Know, just, yes, I've, I've got cases that that Rusty's brought his dog to. Um, the dog's alerted. I've still called it undetermined. I do I doubt his dog? 
No, I trust his dog. If his dog alerts, I trust that the dog has something there, but that one little piece isn't there for me to say, yeah, that's a set fire. So I still take a lab sample and I still take it to the, to the lab. Yeah. You were talking about CSI earlier too, and I I couldn't help but think of Robert De Niro in Backdraft <laughs> and what a uh, how that the first time a movie had ever been made where you had an arsonist and well I'm not going to spoil in case people haven't seen <laughs> who the arsonist is, but you had Robert De Niro as a fire investigator who walks in with a little tube of gasoline and sprays it on the door jam and lights it on fire and I about fell out of my chair. Yes. Fire investigators don't do that. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> we don't do that. And they, so, wait, so wait a minute, guys. He's, just, he's the same one that took his knife and he smelled the door trim. Okay. <laughs> so, glory. Yeah, yeah. Trip well, glory. That's right. Trip to glory. Yeah. Anyway, but well here's the other here's the other fun part. I was I was president of the International at that time. And uh, the BBC wanted to talk to the International Association of Arts Investigator President, all right? So it's it's like 2 o'clock in the morning or something, and I'm giving an interview to the BBC, and they asked me about backdraft. <laughs> and I said, first of all, it's got nothing to do with reality. This is Hollywood, okay, because there's a lot of smoke involved in fires. But yeah. secondly, yeah. I said, I really don't mind being played by Robert De Niro. It's okay with me, <laughs> but I don't look like him. And, and I've proven that. But anyway, but one thing I want to throw out there real quick is that uh, I know we're talking about uh, not one thing hinging on whether a case, uh, whether it's an intentionally set fire or anything like that. We do, as a, as a canine community, fall under the NFPA 921. And NFPA 921 states that um, although what we're searching for occurs in the everyday mechanized world, at the time that we get an alert from a canine, it's not to be considered valid unless it's backed up by a pository laboratory confirmation. So um, th that's really important to, to A, the canine handler to know where his place is, but it's also important for the investigators that called the canines in not to hinge their case based solely on that canine alert, that there's more work to do after the canine has done his job. And that's, you know, to uh, properly collect that evidence, to transport that evidence to the lab, and, and then the whole laboratory thing in between there. And what's the percentage accuracy-wise for the canines with the lab? I've often said this. If, if, if a person walks up to you and says that their dog's 100% accurate, then uh, I wouldn't trust that person. So. Right. Um, I've been doing this for 12 years. I don't know that there's a raw number for accuracy because, you know, the dogs are, they have their own personalities. Um, they're also, you know, just fire in and of itself um, mm -hmm. breaks down materials that, that are ignitable liquids in and of themselves. So, um, what we have to, what we have to understand is, is that the dogs are a tool that increase the probability that if it exists within that fire scene, we're going to be able to identify that. We're going to be able to collect that. And it just increases the probability that um, that we're going to find it. That we're so, going to take the samples in the right place. Absolutely. There's no catch-all mm -hmm. to any of these. You know, even from the CFI world all the way around, there's no, there's no magic bullet to it. No. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of dedication. Um, 
Oh, yeah, Kirk Hankins, who works with us, uh, who is the co-chair of the CFI committee, was working a fire uh, in a commercial establishment, a big one, a big one, okay, and they took like 16 samples, all right, uh, all of them sent off to the lab, and 14 of them came back as positive uh, for an ignitable liquid. Um, the other two uh, were, because all gas chromatographs, uh, you know, they they, they run through the gas chromatograph and mass spec, spectrometer, and they print out um, these graphs. And one, they were just, the two of them were just too iffy to call. And frankly, that's, that's the way it goes. Correct. And uh, then I worked one down in southern Kansas where this dog um, uh, alerted 14 times and we got one hit. And the reason being is it was uh, it was uh, it was a dog that was known to be not necessarily very reliable, but very hungry. Okay, because <laughs> so that's the way life is. And you said you when, what brought that up to me was you said different dogs have different personalities. They do, but they, they still work. Absolutely, they still work. It's just maybe now there is a there is a person out there in the world that that's uh, uh, has have given has uh, actually. Uh, been on a panel at IAAI that said that it would be uh, better to um, bring rats to the scene than dogs because rats you have no affiliation with with humans and there's no personality to them. So therefore, he was indicating that there was possibility that you that a canine handler could make or signal a dog to alert. Have you found that in your experience? Again, I go back to NFPA 921, which mm -hmm. says that it has to be backed up by laboratory analysis. So, um, you know, there's stop gaps in our in our system, um, and we're bound by those. So, I guess that's that's kind of where I'm at on that. And I don't I don't know who this person was, but from what I've seen, rats do are pets. <laughs> and they do have personalities. I've seen this on, and, on and usually Facebook. At, and usually at fire scenes, you already have a few rats running around right. there. <laughs> <laughs> so. Hey, you could get lost in the crowd, right? Your rat could get lost in the crowd. Well, yeah. that's then what? Exactly. Well, don't you have a little leash on a rat? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and, and, and here's the, the critical thinking flaw in that type of a uh, theory is that if then you could say that'd be true of any animal that's dependent upon a human to sure. nurture or feed them. So that's just, you know, that's just silliness. At the end of the day, one of the things that a law enforcement has is their integrity. And so mm -hmm. if you're walking through the scene and you're making your dog sit so you can show off to whomever, you're losing your integrity. Right. So that's my thoughts on that. I have never once heard of or in any capacity known of any, especially, these men have gone through the ATF school. These dogs come out of ATF. I mean, this this is this is not a, uh, a standard that. Well, yeah, they have to be certified, right, Rusty? And they, they certified me over and right. over again. And you have to keep, don't you? You have to work them like every day, right? Yeah, these dogs are are food reward. Uh, methodology, which means that they have mm -hmm. to find ignitable liquids every day um, to for their daily rations. So, um, you know. 
So you have to you have to take them to different places. Uh, well, no, wait a minute. How, so you have to put some ignitable liquid someplace, and then they have to discover it. That's, that's correct. That's, that's correct. Right. So, and so and that's very that's very good. And and you you must and it be, reinforces them daily, you know, mm-hmm. throughout their career. So. Is that why your yard smells like gasoline? I, 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 I was wondering. If not. Could be. Yeah, that's why. But so, so the cool thing isn't that these dogs can find this one drop of gasoline or one drop of ignitable liquid somewhere in a fire scene. The cool thing is that they can find it amongst everything else that exists there. Yeah. One of the toughest fire scenes I ever had to work with my canine was a grocery store. I mean, anybody that knows a Labrador Retriever knows that Labrador Retrievers love to eat. So to find a drop of gasoline amongst ham, eggs, bread, uh, you know, hot dogs, dogs, cookies, keeping them on task was a little bit of a trick on that one. So, um, but yeah, so they're trained on a daily basis. And so when they get towards the end of their careers, you can figure they've done several 50, 60, 70,000, you know, Positive confirmation. That's Hundreds great. Of thousands and of then thousands. when you testify as a dog handler, do you testify to the origin and cause of the fire or that the dog alerted in these areas of both? It depends on my capacity. If I'm if I'm working as a certified fire investigator and deploying my dog within my fire scene, then I I carry both satchels. So mm-hmm. Wally, if you're the major you're the lead investigator in the in a case then you would testify to the origin and cause, and he would testify that the dog uh, alerted in these areas, or both? That's correct. Uh, several cases where I've had him come in, we've brought it to a conclusion. Um, I, I said I brought in a canine handler. Uh, the dog alerted in certain areas. I took samples where the canine alerted, took those to the lab, and I got positive hits for gasoline or diesel or whatever. Um, so that's how that's how that works, as the lead investigator would do. Yeah, so you're, you work as a team, and uh, the dog is your tool. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah okay, that's great. And uh, well, I wish you guys continued success. I know, I know you guys. I know how good you are, and and mm-hmm. uh, and we thank you for being here. If, uh, if the state you of wanna, Kansas, thanks you. And, yes, and in uh, all of the citizen relations, we have yep. to, we have to. You know, we have to do it for all the citizens that are not here. And so, apparently Missouri and Nebraska, too. <laughs> and some other And Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. And, uh, well, if you'd, you'd like to say anything in parting, uh, Molly, to the— I just uh, just thanks for having us on the show uh, to uh, ask us some questions and uh, just uh, share some experiences we've had with, with, with you guys. Thanks well, for being here. Well, thank you for being there. How about Roger? It was, it was an honor, and I'm humbled to be here to be able to share um, some of my experiences and some of the things. One of the best things I've ever done in my in my 28 year career was handle a, handle a dog. Secondly, maybe working with Wally, but don't tell him that. No, no, no he's, uh, he gets his head all yeah. blown up. Yeah, I guess. Okay, well, um, do you want to say anything to the audience before we go? No, thank you for joining us, and uh, I'll let you talk about it next week. Okay, well, guess what? We're, we're having a whole bunch of upcoming shows. We've, we've re-upped for another year, uh, and we're going to be on the air, so we're going to have fire deaths. We're going to have um, a, a, a fire miss show. We're going to have all kinds of upcoming a wildland fire show. So all these things are coming up in the future. So I want you to please uh, tell your friends. And everyone uh, that we're here, so welcome back to Speaking of Fire next week. Come see us.
See you next week. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 